Hi, and welcome to the Christian Fundamentals Foundations course. As we journey through these lessons together, my hope is that your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ will find meaningful expression and lead you on to maturity and fruitfulness in your walk with Him. I trust that this lesson will guide and encourage your heart. Tonight we are going to be talking about faith toward God. Now remember last week we broke down the foundational doctrines as outlined in Hebrews chapter 6. We have discussed repentance toward God. That was what we did last week. And today we go on to the second one, which is faith toward God. Oh, sorry, repentance from dead works. And tonight it's going to be faith toward God. And the purpose of this lesson is to gain an understanding of what faith is, how we can attain it, and how it relates to the life of the believer. And so I really want to, to, to break down the practicalities of how faith works, because I think very often it's misunderstood. Um, it's sort of written off as just a, a, a trust, and trust is a huge part of faith. Our, our faith is anchored in the trust we have in the person of, of God and of Jesus Christ. But faith is a functional thing. It's an active thing. And the more we learn how to engage in faith and to use and to work the faith that we have, the greater we are able to experience everything that Christ has given us bringing the spiritual realm and the, net, the, the, the realities that he has created there and into experience in our daily lives. So let's define faith. If you're all following with me in your notes, the, the word for faith comes from the Greek word, which is pistis. If there's somebody Greek online and wants to correct my pronunciation, you're welcome to do so. Um, and really what that means is it's a firm persuasion, a strong, welcome belief, and the conviction of a truth of anything. So in other words, faith is a deep inward conviction of a spiritual truth. It's not just, okay, that seems right, but it's something that, I've, that, is, that has really entered my heart and that, that I'm convicted about. That I, It's not just a, a loose something out there or something interesting, but it's really my heart's been established in it. And faith is actually defined in Scripture in Hebrews 11 verse 1, it says, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That seems very strange. The substance of things hoped for, it's the evidence of things not seen. Now, in our natural understanding, if we, you know, doing forensics or you're trying to build a case in a court and they would say, what evidence have you got? You have to produce clear, compelling evidence to back up your argument. Now, faith in itself, the Bible says, is the evidence of that which we do not see. So, in other words, it's, it's grounded in not just the natural things that we, can, that we can lay hold of with our natural senses, but it's grounded in something far deeper. I like the Amplified Version because it breaks it down a little bit in, in, in a bit more detail. It says, now faith is the assurance the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for being the proof of things that we do not see and the conviction of their reality, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. In other words, so faith is a deep inward conviction or belief in facts, spiritual truths, without necessarily having to see the physical manifestation of that as yet. We're convinced that it's true. We're convinced that it's alive and that it's working, even though in our natural, we don't, in the natural, we may not see it yet. And that's why the, the title deed is a really good example of this. With a title deed, you, can, you have the house. You have the ownership of the house. The house belongs to you. It's got the address on it, the earth number. It's got your details, and, and it basically says that this is yours. You may not be able to see the house, but you have the title deed. You have the promise that it is yours. Derek Prince puts it this way. Many people make a profession of faith in Christ and the Bible, but their faith is only in the realm of the mind. It is an intellectual acceptance of certain facts and doctrines. This is not true spiritual faith and does not produce any vital change in the lives of those who profess it. So we're going to keep breaking this down a little bit and unpacking this a little bit more. 
In Hebrews 11, 1, it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. But it's important to understand that faith and hope are not the same thing. Hope is established in the realm of the mind. It is directed towards the future, something that will happen. It's an attitude of eager expectancy for good. So in other words, I, I'm expecting good to come of this situation based on what? On the character of God, on the word of God. So based on who I know God is. So we started our lesson tonight, or our time together, praying the verse of scripture that said, bless the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. And so my hope is in God's goodness, that in his goodness, he will do good to me, that he has a plan for my life, that there's a wonderful future for me. And these are, Paul speaks about a living hope that we have in Christ Jesus. It keeps us looking forward and expecting to see and experience God in all his goodness. And again, I want to say this is not just wishful thinking. This is not just positivity. You know, if you're positive, it will come by. It, it certainly has a positive spin on it. It's certainly uh, orientated towards positivity, but it's not just wishful thinking. Hope is based in the person of who God is and of his promises to us. But faith is established in the heart. It's a conviction that lies very deeply and that provides me an experience in the here and now in my relationship with God and brings that experience into the natural realm and into my natural experience. Uh, again, we've said it's an inward persuasion. It's established in the present. In other words, faith is something that is here and now. It's not what I'm hoping will happen. It's I believe is and has happened. I am born again. I am forgiven. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the word of God says so. And it is a sure confidence in something that is real and definite within. Romans 10 verse 10 says this, with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so the, the point that I want to make here is this. A good analogy is our natural senses. Our eyes are created to see. They are able to, 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 to pick up light. They're sensitive to light and they can therefore see and we can perceive through our eyes. Our ears are made for hearing. They can, they can discern sound. Our minds are made for reasoning. But our heart, our spirit man, is made for believing. Our spirit man is the part of us that has been recreated in the likeness and the image of Christ. It is the part of us that is in communion and is connected with God. And it's the part of us through which God speaks to us. And, and, and it's the part of us in which faith is born where our conviction resides. Faith, true belief in God, is not based on the evidence of our physical senses, but it is based on the eternal, invisible truths and realities revealed by God's word. So in other words, that gives me the ability to believe God's word over and above what I see and experience around me. That may sound very strange. We're going to keep breaking this down and uh, I'm going to keep unpacking this and we're going to keep putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, and by the end of it, I think you'll have a very good idea of, of how faith works. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And we go back to our first lesson just to reiterate some of those things where we talk about the word of God, and we go to John, that in the beginning was the word, and that the expression of the word, the ultimate manifestation of the word is the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and the ultimate unchanging standard for all truth is founded on God's word. Faith entails, faith determines that it will believe the word of God, the truth of what Jesus says, over and above any other report over and above any other thing that we can see or, or, or engage with. And 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 backs this up. It says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Now that's, that's a contrast. You see, I'm either going to walk by faith, believe in God, trusting in the word of God, 
trusting in his promises and believing what he says about me, or I'm going to believe what my experience tells me. I'm going to believe what I see with my natural eyes. So, for example, the word of God says that of the kingdom of God, they will, they will, of the increase of the kingdom of God, there will be no end. In other words, God's kingdom is growing every single day. Now, sometimes when we look in our little environments, it may not seem that things may seem dark. But God's word says that he is, his kingdom is growing. It says that the kingdoms, that, that the kingdom of God is a prevailing kingdom. The power of God wins over evil. The love of God never fails. Now, sometimes in our experience, we may think, oh, I, where, how do I see that? Where do I pinpoint those things in my own natural experience? Well, you see, we need to begin seeing things through the eyes of the spirit. And then when we see things from God's perspective, according to his truth, when his light shines on our experience, we see things in a different way. And we're able to engage with our reality and with the world around us in a different way. So let's talk a little bit about how faith comes with. First of all, it's important to note that faith is not something we can muster. We can give ourselves to learning. We can avail our hearts to the word of God for him to speak to us. And there is a role that we play in gaining and, and walking by faith. But faith ultimately is a gift from God. It is God revealing himself to us, his promises to us, the truth of who he is to us. And so it comes from him. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says that by grace we have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So in other words, it's not... It's not like we can ever come to God and say, well, I've got this great faith and therefore you should do this or you must do that. Or it doesn't work that way. God, in revealing himself to us and our revelation and our understanding of that, of, of who he is, produces faith within our hearts. It's like we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, the, the encounter that Isaiah had with the Lord where he came, God revealed himself to Isaiah and he had this incredible revelation of God and it changed his heart. He saw himself in a whole new light. He saw him, his circumstances in a whole new light and his heart was changed to believe something different about himself and about God and his goodness. And he said, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips as he beheld the glory of the Lord. You see, that revelation was a gift from God to Isaiah that produced faith in his heart. And as I've just said, faith comes by revelation of God's living word spoken by his spirit into our heart. Romans 10, 17, it's a uh, well-quoted scripture. It says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, I want to break this down a little bit for you, but the first point I want to make is this. Faith does not come by having heard. Faith comes by hearing. So what do I mean by that? There's a difference between knowing, Philip, you're on my screen, so it's a good example. I'm going to use you. It's a difference between knowing what Philip said to me three months ago concerning my current situation versus having Philip with me in that situation and saying something to me. Do you understand the difference? The one is knowing about what he might do in the situation. The other one is, is having him in that situation, giving me personal instruction at that moment. And that's where faith resides. That's why faith is of the now. Faith is not something that we, in the future, and faith doesn't exist in the past. Faith is in the now. And it comes by hearing what God is saying over us. Now, in the Greek, there are two words for the word knowledge. And I want to say, when I, when I understood the difference of the two, it really helped me understand faith and where it worked, how it, how it works. The first word is gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, -S, and that is head knowledge, understanding, mental assent. Uh, it comes from our five physical senses, from our past experiences, and it includes our understanding, our natural mind of what the word of God says, all right? Now, that provides us with information. It gives us good understanding. 
But faith is not rooted in our understanding. Faith is rooted in living relationship in the spoken word of God. And so there we get the second word for word, which is the Greek word epignosis. And that means revelation knowledge. That is like, I'm sure many of you have experienced this. Maybe you, you've read your Bibles or you're doing some, some, some study of uh, scripture. You're doing a daily devotional. And maybe you've read a portion of scripture over and over many, many times. But one day, as you're reading that portion of scripture, it's as though God breathes on you. Or you're listening to a song. This happens to me frequently. Uh, uh, I was listening to a beautiful song even today. Just uh, an old hymn that I hadn't listened to. And I was just in my quiet time. And the words just so moved my heart. It was as though God in that moment just breathed on me uh, a desire, a faith, an affirmation. And that which became something I knew in my mind became something very intimate, very experiential between me and God. Revelation knowledge is like that. It's like you read a scripture and suddenly the light goes on. You see it from a different perspective. It carries a different weight. And it actually changes and shifts your heart concerning a certain subject or circumstance. So revelation knowledge is an unchangeable truth revealed to the spirit man by the Holy Spirit, by the presence of God, and comes from the, re the revealed word of God. So it's not just gnosis. It's not just my mental understanding, but it's a spiritual realization. It's a God-breathed revelation. And what that really means is that my mind has now been awakened to God's perspective on this particular subject. And I am therefore able to lay hold of or engage with him on his level concerning the subject. He's bringing me up to where he is because he wants to change my level of experience. Uh, Pastor Andreas often uses the analogy of currency. He says faith is the currency of heaven. So in the same way that we have rands or dollars or pounds or euros or marks, wherever it is that we are in the world, currency with which we trade, with which we lay hold of things that we desire, faith is the currency of heaven. We, there, God is moved by faith. The way we lay hold of salvation is through faith because it's by grace we have been saved through faith. Our approach to God must come through faith. Anything we receive to, from God must be received by and through the avenue of faith. And so what faith does is it lays hold of the realities in God's realm, in the realm of the spirit, and brings them down into experiential reality in your life and my life. And that's where we come to the next point, which is that there are two truths. Now, that sounds like a very relativistic kind of thing. There's a lot of that out there today. You know, each of you have to... Uh, find your own truth. I remember when I was at school, there was a teacher who stood up in assembly. We had devotionals uh, in those days, once a week at assembly. And he stood up one day and said, you know, you have to find your truth and you have to live by your truth, which I found very interesting when he marked my English assignments wrong, because that was my truth, wasn't it? Isn't that, isn't that kind of what you say? How can anything be wrong if everything is relative and I can have my truth and you can have yours? No. There is truth. Truth is truth. Uh, it is what it is. But, in a, and, and what is it that Jesus said about truth? Can anybody tell me? Anybody want to have a stab at that? I know a verse where it speaks about truth. <laughs> Go on. What does it say? It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, that's 6. Right. That's right. That's, uh, that's John 14, 6. That's right. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus says, I am truth. My word is truth. Whatever I say is true. And now when we, when we understand that the person saying this is the person that was there and was a part of creating the world, who, under, who knit it all together, who understands how it all works, that same person is the eternal judge. He will judge this world. He will judge every one of us one day. And the standard by which he will judge us all will be the truth, will be himself, will be his standard and his word. And so if we come back to our notes here, when I say that there are two truths at work in our lives, what am I speaking about? I'm saying we have a natural truth, a truth that we observe with our spiritual senses and with our 
And these things are temporal. They're changing all the time. You know, what's right today seems to be wrong tomorrow. What's moral today seems to be immoral tomorrow. And what was okay 10 years ago is no longer okay. And, 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 and it's just the world and our systems are always changing. Um, and so the natural truth that we observe around us deals with the things that are material, temporal, and changeable, whereas faith deals with the revealed truth of God, which are invisible, which are eternal, and which are unchanging. And you'll see that I put a spiritual principle down there, and that is this, that the natural is always subject to the spiritual. What do I mean by that? Well, if you consider that God himself is a spirit being, and he spoke words which caused the world to come into existence. He spoke words that created the world, that caused it all to be. And so the, everything we see in our physical, natural world came about from the spiritual realm. You know, if the natural wasn't subject to the spiritual, what would be the point of prayer? The whole point of prayer is to acknowledge that God intervenes and God works from the spiritual realm in the natural realm. And from the spirit realm, the natural realm was not only created, but is sustained and can be affected. I mean, that's why we pray, isn't it? Again, Derek Prince says it this way. He says, the carnal mind, in other words, our natural ability to think, accepts the testimony of the senses in all circumstances and is ruled by the senses. Let's pause for a moment. Listen, isn't that how all of us live or have lived or used to live? That is how every person who doesn't acknowledge God lives. He lives according to his natural senses, what he can see, smell, taste, touch. That's for here. <laughs> he lives according to the circumstances that he is in and the various stimuli that come at him. At him and it's all in this carnal, natural realm. But the spiritual mind accepts the testimony of God's word as invariably and unchangeably true. And then accepts the testimony of the senses only insofar as it agrees with the testimony of God's word. So we will either. Here's what, here's what happens. And here's the, the analogy that I want you to understand. Very often our natural experience is on is down here and god's word what god says about a situation is up here so let's take uh healing for example right now i've got this pain or i've got this ailment now god's word says to me that by his stripes i was healed that healing belongs to me now we either have a choice we are either going to bring the standard of what god's word says down to our level of experience and through our own reasoning and logic, explain why what God says is true is not really true because we are founding our trust in the natural truth that we feel in our physical bodies. Now, is it true that I am feeling an ailment in my body? Yes, it's true. I don't deny that truth. You understand? And accepting the higher truth doesn't mean that we deny the natural truth. That's just living in denial. That's saying, oh, I'm completely healed, whereas, dude, you're not. Your leg's still hanging on by two, you know, by two little strands. You're not healed. Look at you. There's a natural truth. I have eyes. I can see. That doesn't mean I abandon my intellect completely. But what faith does is it says, but Jesus says that you are healed. And so faith seeks to take, instead of bringing God's word and what he says about my situation down to my level of experience, faith says, Jesus, I'm going to believe what you say. And in so doing, bring my experience up to what your word says. Bring those two into alignment. Now, sometimes that takes time. Sometimes that's a journey. Abraham had to wait how many years before Isaac was born? And he had to stand strong in faith. But yet he believed what the word of God said, and he trusted in what the word of God said over and above the deadness of Sarah's womb and the age of his own body. 
True faith, therefore, is a firm decision in the heart to believe God's word above anything else, regardless of what circumstances or my senses may say. In other words, I choose to trust in God, in his character, in his word, and in his promise, regardless of what I see around me. He has become so real to me that he is, it's, it's as though he's even more real to me than what I see and experience all around me. That is true faith. That is genuine faith because it changes my heart attitude and it changes where my trust is established. When I now choose, I am only going to accept the testimony of my senses. I'm only going to allow them to, to have their free reign as long as they agree with God's word. And there you see another spiritual principle. You are slave to the voice you consistently obey. In other words, if you consistently give in to natural reasoning, you become a slave to the systems of this world. In other words, we think like this world. We act like this world. We behave like this world. Because what have they got? They've got natural reasoning. And we see where natural reasoning is getting us, just on a morality front just on the difference between what is good and bad versus what God says is good and bad, what is right and wrong in, in our day and age versus what God says is right and wrong. We see where this is getting us. But you see, if we choose that we will obey the word of God, believe what he says, and rely and trust in that, in other words, align our intellect with what he says, we become spiritually minded and we begin to position ourselves in faith. That's why the Bible says, Set your mind on things which are above, not on things beneath. Set your mind in heavenly realities, because in doing so, over time, those heavenly realities will become your earthly reality, will become your earthly experience. So let's move on to faithful believing always comes before seeing. So we've, we've said that faith is the evidence of things hoped for. So the evidence, it's my conviction, it's my belief, it's the revelation that I've received, and that belongs to me. And that's what I lean on long before I see the manifestation of that particular thing or that area. And so the word, the world around us is that seeing is believing. I'm sure you've heard that expression, I'll believe that when I see it. That's what Doubting Thomas says. They came to him and they said, Christ is risen. And he said, I'll believe that when I see it. And Jesus was like, well. What a coincidence. Here I am. Put your fingers here. Put your fingers in my side. You can see. And Jesus rebuked him. And he said, you know, because this isn't taking any faith. It doesn't take any faith to believe what you already see. We don't need faith to believe what we already see. It's there and it's clearly evident. Faith is there for us to believe that which we cannot see. To lay hold of that which is not clearly evident in the natural. That is a spiritual reality and that's become alive in our hearts. And yes, like I said, faith is for that which we do not see in the natural. So now that we've got an understanding that faith comes through the word of God, through a revelation of who he is and of, a, of an attribute of his character or a promise that he has given. Based on that, I believe that with all my heart and I, I take that as truth. I put all my trust in that. Now, how do I begin to express that faith? See, faith doesn't begin on the outside. Faith begins on the inside. And then the outworking of that is what I now want to focus on. The primary confession, of, uh, expression of faith is confession. In order for faith to be released, it needs to find some kind of expression. And the first place we do that is by confessing. You know, the Bible says that there is life and death is in the power of the tongue. In other words, through what I speak, when I speak words that are filled with faith, put it another way, when I speak words that are born of God, that are God-authored, that have been written on my heart by God, and I begin to speak those words, not from my mind, but from the faith that exists in my heart, those words have the power to bring life. And also, the words that I speak from deep in my heart also have the power to bring death. I'm sure all of us have experienced both of these in our relationships. Either words that we've spoken to other people, where we've been harsh, we've been unkind, or words where we've tried to encourage somebody else, and we've seen the effect that it has had. We've also been on the receiving end of this. We've been on the receiving end of harsh words, words that break and tear down, that, that 
that rend relationships sometimes forever. But we've also understood what it's like to have words spoken into us which make us come alive, which encourage us, which, which speak courage into us. You know, and, and James says that the words we speak are like the rudder of a ship. They have the, just, just a little change. Just the words that we speak will change the trajectory of our lives. And so based on that principle, we also understand that faith, when it is spoken, makes tremendous power available. 2, 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. And the link here is the word therefore. So you don't speak to make yourself believe. <laughs> this is not name it and claim it stuff. I'm not into that message of faith. And I, I think, you know, when I started learning about faith as a young believer, I, I kind of fell on my face a few times before I understood the importance of revelation knowledge. I thought that if I, I took a scripture, a promise from God, a legitimate promise, and I confessed it enough that I would believe it. Well, I'm not saying that that's not important in terms of the more I meditate on the word, the more I speak it, the more I confess it, the more opportunity I have for that word to become life and light to me. But I can say all kinds of things without an iota of faith in my heart. I can say all kinds of things based on my natural understanding. Yet when faith is there, when that word that I speak has become a living, powerful word, because it's as though God has, has branded it on my heart, as you would brand a, a calf with, with your signature on it. It's, it's as though something gets branded on your heart, and it's something that you're so sure of that nothing's going to change your mind on this. It's solidified. It's set. Now, when, when, when that becomes the reality inside of you, the natural thing is this is going to start coming out of your mouth. And so I believe this, and therefore I speak it out as truth and as so, as real. And so the definition of confession comes from the, word, the Greek word homologia, which means to say the same as homo, which means the same, and logia, which means to, the same as. And in other words, and here's the really powerful thing about this. If we understand that when I begin to confess what the word of God says, what's being revealed to my heart, my heart and my confession begin to line up and come into agreement with what God is saying. In other words, I'm no longer at odds with it. Now, at odds doesn't necessarily mean I'm butting heads with it or I disagree with it. At odds sometimes means, God, you're saying it, but I, I'm not quite understanding it. I don't quite believe it. I'm sure you've experienced that as well. Knowing you, you read your Bible and you go, how does that work, Lord? How can that be true? How do I make that real in my life? You know, whereas faith now has taken me to a level where all of those questions and all of those wonderings are either satisfied or they're put aside because in the light of what I now know, they don't matter. They kind of fall away. They kind of dissipate in the glory of revelation knowledge of who God is and of his promises. And so, in other words, this confession means I'm now confessing the same thing with my mouth from my heart that God is confessing over me and over my situation. And, and, and confession becomes the very natural expression of the heart of faith. Jesus, in teaching his disciples, this is a very interesting scenario that happens here. Jesus goes up to a fig tree because he's hungry and the fig tree has no fruit on it because it's not seasoned. And so he curses the fig tree. And they move on. And the next morning, the disciples, they're walking past the same fig tree. And the disciples say, hang on a second. This is the same fig tree that Jesus cursed yesterday. And it's dried up from the roots. And they're saying, how did you do that? And Jesus, in his reply, says, you know, in other words, he's saying that happened by faith. He's saying, and he goes in Mark 11, 22 to 24, he explains to them saying, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, now using the fig tree as an example, and I'll work some mountain. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Now, 
I added emphasis, and for some reason I saw today that the PDF that went out doesn't have the same emphasis on this, this portion of scripture that I that I added in. So I want you to read verse 23 with me again. And if you have a pen, I want you to underline the word says every time you see it. Verse 23 says, For assuredly I say to you, this is where Jesus, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes. Now that's speaking of the heart. It says he will have whatever he says. So we see the word says there comes three times. The word believe comes once. What are we trying to say? I'm trying to draw an analogy using the wording of this portion of scripture to say that faith, as long as it just remains in your heart, remains kind of, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, uh, the, the power that is available in that faith isn't expressed. It just stays dormant. Faith needs to find expression. And this verse doesn't say that whoever believes this mountain will be moved. No, it says whoever says to this mountain be removed. And in other words, that real faith, genuine faith, is not just this little kind of hope that maybe God will move the mountain or God understands my heart. He knows where I am. No, no, no. It's alive and it is, it, it's functional. We believe what God says and we speak it out. And through speaking it out, results are produced. Amen? All right. And so, like I said, the first expression of our faith is our confession. But in addition to that, just saying something, also sometimes, God requires more from us. Point number eight says the evidence of faith. And the evidence of faith is that is corresponding action. You will always behave or live out what it is that you truly believe in your heart. Jesus said a good a tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. What's truly within you and what you truly believe will determine not only what comes out of your mouth, but how you live your life. So just to give you an example, if you truly believe that God is your protector, you're not going to lie up at night wondering hoping nothing bad happens. You're going to trust and sleep well, trusting in his protection. If you believe God is your provider, and God promises that he will provide us, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, Paul writes in Philippians, he says, my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory. There's many, many scriptures in the Bible that talk about God's faithful provision. Now, if I really truly believe that, then I'm not going to lie awake at night wondering what's going to happen. How am I going to pay these bills? Or how, where, where's the money going to come from? Or where's finance? I, there's a trust that I have and a firm conviction. Let me just pause you for a moment and give you a personal testimony. Many, many years ago, uh, it was about the year 2005, must have been around there. I was having a conversation with somebody. And in 2005, probably about March, probably about this time of the year, Pastor Andreas spoke to me about potentially coming on full-time to help out at Alpha and Omega. At that time, I was working in logistics, and he said, maybe from next year, but I want to test the water, see how you feel about that. You come on board, uh, not in a ministry capacity, you come on board, help us administrate the Bible school, help look after some of the administration and practical things around running the church building, et cetera, et cetera. And during that year, I had a conversation with a man who I really respected, and we were talking about just incomes and buying homes and those kinds of things. And we were talking about how, you know, how hard it is these days for young couples to, to buy a home. And if they're not both working, if both parties are not working, it's actually really, really difficult. You'd have to be earning a massive salary to just, you know, live these days on just one salary. It's hard to do it. Not many, can, not, not many can do that. And he was talking about this. And one of the things he said was, you know, he still believed that even though both couples work, if God looks at the man as the provider. He looks to the man as the provider of the family. I remember going home and thinking about that, thinking about coming into ministry, thinking about the fact that amazingly, as soon as I'd kind of set my heart to come into the ministry, my company were willing to more than double my salary. I suddenly got it, uh, I suddenly got headhunted by an agency who wanted to offer me just an incredible job, an incredible position. Um, Earning more than I'm earning now, but 15 years later, it was just, you know, incredible things that came along during that period. And I suppose just to test my heart. 
But I remember one night sitting with God in conversation with him in a quiet time, and I was talking to him, and I said, and it was as though it was as though God said to me, Michael, if you look after my kingdom, and what I, in other words, what I am giving you to look after, I will look after you. If you provide for the needs of my people, I will provide for you on this. Now I want to tell you something. That is not just I read that word in the Bible all the, all the time. God promises he's going to meet my needs. But in that moment, God spoke something so personal to a, 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 a worry and anxiety that I had in my heart. And in that moment, God made that terribly personal, incredibly personal. And I want to tell you, sometimes when I'm concerned over the years and, and wondering how things are going to come out and perhaps we're going through a lean season, I go back to that word. And I remember that day that God and I figuratively shook hands and I said, God, I accept that. I trust that you will look after me. And my testimony is that after, what, 15, 16 years, God has looked after me. He has faithfully provided for me. Here's part of my testimony. When Helen and I uh, fell pregnant with Leah, we needed to buy a home and uh, we, we, we did all our homework and we we're about to buy this home about to have a baby and we were about to get an increase that September and so we signed our offer to purchase the house knowing that we would be getting an increase because buying this house meant our budget would be would be flat it would be set you know it would be really 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 tight if we got a bit of an increase would be okay and so we bought the house we signed the papers and guess what September came and there was just no not enough finance to give an increase and you still go and here's the testimony. The testimony is not only that I didn't get an increase then, the testimony is that I didn't get an increase the next year or the following year or the following year. We went four years without an increase, having now a child in the house with all the with all the, the, the things and the costs that go, nappies and formulas and all of this, and now a house and all the maintenance that goes with. And God saw us through remarkably in incredible ways. And if it didn't come from the job, which, you know, it came from somewhere else. And he, his grace made our money just go further, some miraculous way. And in, 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 in many, many ways, I share this story because it's, it's a real celebration in my heart of God's faithfulness. How in the natural, things looked pretty bleak. But really, God created a circumstance to show me how faithful he would be to his promise. If that makes any sense. He, he, he called my faith to say, I promised you I would. Are you going to believe me when it really looks like it can't? Yeah, it was easy to believe me when, when you had enough. Now you lack it. And now there's pressure. Now what's going to happen? And, you know, I still go back to that word. And I lean on that word. And I trust on that word because that word became life and light to me. And my experience and my testimony now have given me even more confidence in God's faithfulness in these areas. And so that's just a small part of my testimony. I hope that encourages you some way and explains just the intimate way in which real faith works. That I trust not just in something I, I hear, I've heard or a part of the word of God that I've heard with my mind, but I trust in the person of God and his faithfulness to me. Now, I've probably taken up a little bit too much time there. Let's quickly jump into the evidence of faith. Evidence of faith, James 2.26 says this. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. In other words, if I say I believe something, but there's no action, I don't step out, I don't put that to the test or, or live it out, then I'm just, it's not real. It's not real faith. So we've just spoken about faith expression being confession. Confession all by itself is, is without corresponding acts of obedience also does not equal faith. Faith and obedience this is a really lovely analogy. Faith and obedience are like the two ends of a railway line. And you're chugging along. And faith is never going to go further than your level of obedience. And your level of obedience to God is never going to go further than your faith in who he is. The, the journey of your life, as you journey along the track of your life, will be a journey of faith and obedience working together hand in hand. As your faith grows, so will your level of obedience. You can't think that... You, you, you know, your faith is growing and you believe in all this wonderful stuff, but there's no obedience to back it up. That's just a fallacy. Acts of obedience to God's word reveal the genuineness of our faith in it. And it's in the arena of application that our faith is tested 
and tried and proven. So in my analogy, again, it was in that arena of difficult circumstances where my faith in that word that God gave me was tested and proven. And God proved himself so faithful. He really did. And just to read through Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 is like the hall of fame of faith. You know, I remember when I was in high school, we had a school uh, in our hall was this board, this wooden panel that had gold names, names embossed in gold on it. And this was sort of the, the, the cum laude, the, the top student every year, the hall of fame, you know, the, and, and Hebrews 11 is that of faith. It lists all the things that Abraham, and Moses, and all these people did. And the point that I want to make is that these people's faith was not just some belief that made them sleep well at night. It wasn't just a belief that they kind of, you know, lived the normal life by. Their faith was the avenue through which they achieved incredible things for God. So faith goes beyond just a belief. It goes beyond just confession. It results in fruit. And let's quickly look at, our, at the father of our faith, Abraham. Romans 4, 17 to 21. I'm going to read it quickly. It says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. This is what God spoke over Abraham. He was appointed our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. Who gives life to the dead and speaks of the non-existent things that he has foretold and promised as if they already existed. That's how God works. For Abraham, human reason for hope, being gone, hoped in faith that he should become the father of many nations as he had been promised. So numberless shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered the utter impotence of his own body, which was as good as dead because he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of serious deadened wound. No unbelief or distrust made him waver, doubtingly questioned concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God, fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and to do what he had promised. Isn't that incredible? What an incredible testimony for Abraham. And the, the incredible thing about Abraham is his name was Abram, and God called him. He said, I will, I'm giving you a new name. I'm calling you Abraham, which means father of many. And he called him that before a single child was even born. In other words, God called that which was not as though it were. God put that on him, said, I want you to believe this. And he went and started saying, my name is Abraham. And people would say, where are you? Where's your kids? I call that which be not as though they were. And for the sake of time, I don't know where time has gone tonight. I've obviously been having too much fun. Uh, I'm going to just briefly uh, skip over the section. Abraham accepted God's statement as true. And this is the stage of his faith. And based on that, he refused to accept the testimony of his senses. He was about 100 years old. No Pfizer products in those days. Sarah was unable to bear children. This was an impossible situation by all human reasoning. But yet, because God said it, Abraham believed it. And he walked in faith all those years until the manifestation of that, of that word came to pass. And eventually, his... The, the testimony of his senses, in other words, the natural situation was brought into line with the statement that God had made over his life. And then we also see how, how Abraham's faith in God was tested through the sacrificing of Isaac. Uh, and if you read that portion of scripture, um, Abraham goes off to go sacrifice his son. He says to his wife, the boy and I will be back in three days. In other words, he knew what he was going to do, but he told her the boy and I will be back. And there's a portion there that in that scripture that, that Abraham was so convinced in the promise of God that he knew that, that if he was going to kill Isaac, God was able to raise him up again. But God said, I was going to be the father of many nations. Now, if he's telling me to slay the son, I still trust in him and that original promise, even given what's about to happen. Now, that is faith. And we know what happened. Abraham raised the knife and God said, no, I now know that your faith is real. Your faith is true. There in the bushes is trapped around. You sacrifice that. What an incredible thing. 
So the basic characteristics of faith we've been through tonight, I'm not going to re-emphasize those right now, but just a personal application. And this is really what I want to leave you with. I've explained to you tonight, I hope, and given you an idea of how faith works, the, the, the personal nature of faith that I choose to believe, the person of God and what his word says, over and above even what I see and experience in my natural senses. And so the personal application is this, that each of us must decide for ourselves. You need to decide this for yourself and me for myself. Whether or not I am prepared to believe God's word as a final authority on all matters, or whether I'm going to rely on what I see and, and, and what my mind can reason in this natural realm. Both the way I live my life now, here and on this earth, as well as the way I will spend my eternity are determined by this one thing. Do I really believe what this book says? Do I really believe what God says about my forgiveness, about my salvation, about his love for me, about his faithfulness and his kindness, about his healing, about his provision, about his grace, his enabling power working in me and being with me every day? You see, if I don't believe that, I'm never going to engage with it. But if I do, I get to experience what grace is like. Having Jesus work in me and with me and through me every day of my life. There's so many wonderful, wonderful promises. Let me give you one final portion of scripture, even though we've gone on a long time. Just because this is, is really powerful, exciting stuff. In the second book of Peter, chapter 1, from verse 2, Peter writes to the, and he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Beautiful revelation. That's the word epignosis, the revelation knowledge of God. And of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge, revelation knowledge, epignosis, it's that word, of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these we may be partakers of his divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Isn't that incredible? And that is what faith is all about. Becoming a partaker of God, of everything is made available to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And so if we're talking about the foundational, foundational doctrine of faith toward God, this is how faith works. It says, God, what you say goes. I believe it. I trust it with all my heart. And I live according to it. I apply it in my life. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.